Check out We Are Calvin football podcast in association with McAvoy Super Value, Virginia. Real food, real people. Try Super Value's own range in store today. Quality products at one third the price of branded labels. McAvoy Super Value, Virginia. Supporting local. We Are Calvin podcast. Because Calvin's not just a place, it's a people. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another edition of the McAvoy's Super Value GEA podcast brought to you by We Are Cavan. On today's show we're going to be looking at the latest news from Crow Park that GEA activity um, has pretty much seized until Easter. Um, we'll be looking down under to be getting to get our update from how Ashley and Shorten and Collinwood are doing another great win for them. I will also be explaining the concept and um, uh, I suppose a, an idea that we're, we're doing over on the Patreon service on the Die Hard podcast where we're splitting Cavan up into eight regional teams and we're going to be uh, we're going to be revealing the eight regional uh, teams, their team names, uh, why we came up with the idea of doing it. Um, how the teams were picked and, and, and so on. But as always, to look through all of the GA World um, action over the last week, I'm delighted, by, delighted to be joined by Paul Fitzpatrick, sports editor of the anglo Cell. Paul. Um, Paul, we might just start off with the, the announcement last week um, coming from Crow Park that there's no GA action um, until... April 5th, I think, is the date, but also the kind of dual announcement that uh, GA, uh, both hurling, football, uh, camogie, none of it is now elite sport um, in the eyes of the government. And, and it appears like that kind of came as a bit of a surprise to the GA. Yeah, it's a funny one, Damien, because it's hard just reading between the lines to see exactly where this decision has come from. Like, did it come as a surprise to the GA? Susan Brady said to me, no, that, that she wasn't surprised. Uh, so you could say that it didn't come as a, as a surprise to Cavan County Board. In saying that, there was a sense that the GA were uh, more hopeful than, than it, it turned out to be. Like they did issue a missive to the membership at one point saying that, that we might be back in action uh, in March. So which would have meant like a return to competitive action at the start of March. At one stage, the GPA was looking for six weeks of a run-in and then they agreed to go with four weeks of a run-in as it, as it looks now like you nearly take four days of a run-in now to, to get back to competitive action at this stage but really where the, the whole thing seems to be floored is the GEA were under the impression now I haven't spoken to anyone but just going by the, the reporting around it like the likes of Colin Keyes has reported this and he'd have impeccable sources the GEA were under the impression that they still had the green light that, that there was an exception for inter-county senior action under level five uh, and they thought that they still had and they were choosing themselves not to not to return to action that's that was the impression the GA were under um but it turns out that that the level five legislation changed i think on new year's eve and the GA 
were written out of that at that point. So that's where the communication mix-up seems to be. Nobody told the GEA this. Uh, the government seemed to think that the GEA knew. The GEA didn't know. So it's amazing that this could happen at such a high-powered level, but it has happened. Um, but in reality, whether they knew or not, I don't think the GEA could afford to run the National Leagues with either no fans or or, or financial backing from the government. Like the government underwrote the All-Ireland Championships last year, uh, which allowed it to go ahead. Because Martin Cahill said to me before in a piece for the paper that a few weeks ago that it cost 20 grand a week to run teams for the National Leagues. So that Cavan, that's covering the footballers and hoarders in Cavan, I would say. So... No, so that's that's twenty grand. That's that's over ten weeks. You're talking two hundred grand. Multiply that by thirty-two counties. You're you're into, you know, over six million. There are six and a half million. So, where was that six and a half million going to be found? I know Cavan, in common with a lot of other counties, just probably wouldn't have two hundred grand, because their 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 national league share was already well cut, and like a lot of money comes from your your central allocation from Crow Park, uh, but not that much either. Like it, it probably covers your travelling expenses. And your your meals. I think last year Calvin took in something like four hundred and fifty odd thousand from central allocations, but still spent over seven hundred thousand preparing their team. So this is up to the end of twenty nineteen, and um, that was the last full season. So like the, the, you, like you still have to pay for all the ancillary stuff around that. So I just think that the GA couldn't afford to do it. So maybe they they let the government they went they went to the government. Maybe possibly in one sense might have been hoping that this was the decision because. It was going to cost so much. And if you look at the tone of the GA statement, that last year the GA came out with a hard-hitting statement where they called for Dr. Ronald Lynn to come and meet them to explain. And they got a lot of guff for that, all right, at the time. But this time it was very conciliatory and they were kind of saying, look, this is the situation, blah, blah, blah. So maybe the GA were, even though they might say that they were surprised or whatever, they didn't come out and say they were gutted or anything like that. I don't think they were because it was a financial decision as much as anything. Is, is there... I've heard some people mute the idea that essentially there was a, a, a kind of a stalemate when they were coming up with the uh, master fixture plan for 2021 that Crow Park wanted clubs to go first. Clubs or county boards wanted um, inter-county to go first because each other's biggest revenue comes from Either the club championship if you're a county board, or the um, the, the, the All Ireland series if you're if you're Crow Park, and essentially the the I suppose the, the the population or the popular vote, which was the county boards got to rule the decision in the end. Um, they got clubs to be second in in the overall decision, but Crow Park maybe. Um, are using this to their advantage to 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 weigh the argument back or weigh the, the debate back into their favour that they'll now have to go towards the end of the year with their competitions? Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I'd be just kind of guessing on that end of it. I haven't heard anything about mm. that. You'd imagine that Crow Park would have wanted to put uh, intercounty action back as far as possible to increase the chances of, of uh, having fans at the games for a start. Uh, you'd imagine that might have been a consideration because that brings in obviously millions of euro when you can have full houses or anything even close to it. But um, county boards are, are funny in how they operate their accounts because Martin Cat has often mentioned this to me that most of their money comes in at the at the end of the year and most of their expense goes out early on in the year. So ordinarily your your intercounty action, McKenna Cup, National Leagues, running then into into championship, that's in the first half of the year. Like and your 
you know, a lot of the time, traditionally, your your county action might be over by July or August. August, if you had a good year, really, usually it was over by July. So that was the, that was the seventh month. You could say you're only just starting in the third quarter. Uh, so all your expenditure on your county teams was happening in that first half of the year, and then a lot of your income was coming in uh, through your local gate re- gate receipts, which is you know bringing you in to close to four hundred thousand in some years in Cavan, and that all comes in in a big glut in in August, uh, September, and into October. So uh, it's a funny model that they have. There's really no other way around it. Now I know that Cavan have have looked at different ways of of kind of keeping it more level across the course of the year. But look, it's it's big money. Uh, it's tough tough job being a county treasurer, very tough. Like Martin Cavill is a brilliant treasurer. I think Cavill were very lucky to have him. But, uh, you know, imagine you were asking someone to, to go and basically run a, run a business with a couple of million euros worth of a turnover as a volunteer on top of their own work. It's a big job. And I know there's an assistant treasurer, Tom Moore, and then John Keaton is the assistant treasurer now. But uh, they're, they're all considerations that... that uh, that come into it. So I know that when I spoke to Martin Cahill a few weeks ago, he was quite pessimistic about the National Leagues going ahead. He said there was a remote call, like a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call of all the treasurers in the country and they had all raised concerns and what he said to me was that Crow Park Finance Committee had flagged this back before Christmas uh, about the cost of running the National Leagues basically. Where was the money going to come from and that the powers that be sort of dismissed them at the time. So I think that Maybe this all came to a head. I definitely think there's a financial consideration, but I'm surprised that the government hasn't underwritten it, to be honest, because it's a drop in the ocean um, compared yeah. to the money that has gone into to combating this pandemic and like the lift it would have given to people, hundreds of thousands of people around the country uh, to, to be able to watch it, even, even to watch it on TV, like we saw with the championship. Like it would have, because we're in, we're in winter now and you can see the weather and the short evenings and everything else. And they're really... It is pretty bleak for a lot of people, and uh, especially with very little sport happening. Do you, do you buy the argument or or this idea that the um, the the I, I don't know what the name of the soccer league in Ireland is called the the, the FAI league, um, you know that they're they're elite sports athletes and the county senior players aren't. I'm surprised at that one. Yeah, it's it's a funny one as well because. Certainly you do have players in that league who are professional players and you're depriving them of their livelihoods if the league can't go ahead. Like there's a lot of professionals in it. There's professional teams in it. Um, so from that point of view, they do have a higher status than, than the general GEA player. But there's a lot of people depending on uh, on the GEA for a living as well. Now, you have, I think you have about 500-odd centrally contracted staff between Crow Park and GDMs and stuff like that. And by not playing the, the National Leagues, maybe it, it saves money for Crow Park, basically, and it, it, it increases their propensity to pay, pay those people wages from that point of view. So we're talking about protecting livelihoods. Maybe maybe that was the right decision. But look, a lot of people have been forced out of work over the course of this lockdown. Uh, so you know, it's probably a little bit rich to be picking and choosing who, who gets to work and who doesn't because there's hundreds of thousands probably put out of work over the head of the lockdown. Well, the, the crazy thing is, for me, on 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 the whole soccer versus versus Gaelic argument here, who's who's elite and who's not, is that you know there's there's perfectly good examples of players who, um, without without naming any players, but who have chosen to play Gaelic football at a county level instead of playing 
League of Ireland soccer and because of that choice in this year they're being they're being discriminated against even though their habits their behaviors their lifestyle their 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 interaction with people would be the exact same whether they're Gaelic footballers or they're soccer players and that that for me is the the, the hypocritical part of it that they're saying I you know the, the the League of Ireland lads are all professional they're not they're 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 not all professional they're not all able to bubble there's there's some of them that are still a lot of them are still holding down other jobs in order to uh, subsidize the income that that League of Ireland um that League of Ireland paid them or the clubs in League of Ireland uh, paid them which in a lot of cases isn't enough to live on it's it's yeah. it's basically expenses and nothing more so and this also, idea that they're feeding, in, feeding into your argument is the fact that there is grant funding for for Gaelic footballers and hoarders uh, available from the government like they, they do get they do get grant funding there is a government grant there which which provides and it's not not very much but that is surely recognition that you're an elite an elite athlete if you're uh, attaining grant funding from the government like so look it's a it's a funny one like this I think in years to come when we look back at how we handle lockdown like there's probably going to be people are going to be able to see with a bit of context people are going to be able to see that there was mistakes made over the course of it and you might think that by consuming the media at the moment um, the criticism is coming a little bit more now but for a long time we haven't had, seen a huge amount of criticism in the media of of the way our politicians are elected and unelected have have led us through the lockdown and be that it's impacted and we're done with sport now but it's impacted everything so I think in the fullness of time maybe we'll be able to digest things a bit better I know it's they're doing a hard job very hard job the politicians have and I think I think the government in particular have a tough job tougher than we'd say Neffet have because they have to take so many more factors into account so it is a difficult job but I think there's been there's a lot of mistakes made and a lot of contradictions in it and the messaging is just it's just terrible. Like it's that's their biggest problem that they've got the messaging all wrong. Like people, the, the the idea of tears was a great idea. It's simple. Uh, it's almost like color coding something. You you can see straight away. Okay, we're level five. We can only do this or that. We're, what level are we in now? We're in level four. We can do this or that. But almost immediately when the tier system came in, we started getting tiers in between tiers. We started getting uh, this is level four and a bit, and this county's in such a level, that county's in another level, and okay, this time on the level five you can play football, but next time on the level five you can't. Uh, so I think they've got that all wrong. Um, the funny thing is, like we don't have a unified government. Obviously, you've got two parties that are traditionally at each other's throats in government, and now with the Greens, and there's definitely a bit of politicking going on. Then, like you can see, Leo Varadkar is pulling the rug from under Michael Martin and contradicting them at times and that's all internal politics and that's something that the country doesn't need either so the whole thing at the minute is just a complete clusterfuck yeah well i i think where i can i can understand the the, the point of view that you know in, in lockdown one people were, were behind it and and you know that that seemed to be the best option at the time but as we've gone on we haven't gained or it doesn't look like we've learned a huge amount from what's gone on over the last 12 months. Like I, I personally don't agree with the idea of saying a lockdown goes on until a particular date. I, I, I'd much prefer if, if the lockdown went on to a particular target, such as community transmission or the number of new infections, new new cases in a day is below a certain number, the number of 
ICU um, beds being occupied by COVID patients is at a certain level or the number of deaths is at a certain level, give the public a target to go and achieve. And at least then we can go and say, right, OK, so when we when we all work hard together, we might be able to achieve this target. And at the moment, it looks like we're basically saying, well, look, it doesn't matter what happens over the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, we're going to be stuck in this situation regardless. So I think they, 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 they didn't really learn a huge amount from that. But the other point being is that it's, it's, it's one thing to criticise. It's another to have an alternative uh, way of, mm. of approaching it. And that's the important part for it. There's no point in, you know, there's an awful lot of people who are out there just saying, oh, they're doing it wrong, they're doing it wrong. Well, tell me how you do it that's better. That's mm, that's the important that's part, of it. and, and we it. can have a discussion. That's that it. Point. I agree. I, anyway. I agree with that. So, well, one th- one thing that I, w- I would like to comment on is the general media coverage of uh, of the lockdown, uh, and I work in the media, uh, but I'm disappointed with it. Like I, I think we're being bombarded at the moment by co- media coverage, but it's not the right sort of coverage. It's not. There's very little questioning going on. Like I saw, um, where you and McKenna was described as a contrarian for a piece he put up last week, but I would actually say contrarian, calling a journalist a contrarian is a compliment because a contrarian is someone who challenges the consensus. Now, maybe you and might do it a bit too much, but uh, I, I think we, we haven't seen enough of that. Like, maybe there's another way other than lockdown, but you get you get shouted down um, and and you get aspersions cast on you if, if you try to question some of this. Like, I'll give you an example. I was looking earlier on, I just took a few notes on it. Someone the front page of the Irish News today. There's a big headline, the lead story: teens eating disorders linked to pandemic. Uh, the blurb on the top of page one of the Independent: pandemic insomnia, how COVID has damaged our sleep. There's another story inside the window: life was like hell, crowded living in lockdown. There's another story on the Independent website where the Polish government found a mink. No one needs minks. I don't know what a mink is like a weasel or something. They found a mink with with coronavirus that can that can give it to humans. So we've got killer minks now running around the place. These are the sort of things that are, are being reported. There was, I looked on the Irish Times website earlier on at about half two, and the top eight stories on the website were all COVID-related. Eight out of eight. And there's none of these stories are, are saying, hold on, is is this extreme lockdown the correct course of action? Like, we're recording now, Damien, a quarter to six. In a half an hour's time, you'll be able to go on every every single news outlet in the country, and every one of them, uh, will be regurgitating the, the latest press release, which gives the COVID figures, deaths, confirmed cases, hospitalizations. Uh, and I've, I have, I don't agree with that. I haven't from the start. I don't see people, have, I've had this debate with people and they've said, yeah, but it keeps people on their toes. And, you know, you get the figures out every day. It's, it's a warning. It obviously doesn't work. It hasn't worked. Uh, you know, we haven't changed anything that we've done despite case numbers exploding at times and things like that. So I don't think that that works. I think that's scaring people. Like, what we need to know is, the press. I get the press releases as well. I'm on the mailing list cause, uh, through work. And it gives you things like the, how many people have been hospitalized in the last 24 hours, uh, like new hospitalizations. But it doesn't tell you how many people were infected with the virus in the hospital. Now, I'm not casting aspersions on the hospitals because that's how these things happen. But that would be good to know. That would give that would might that might ease people's mind a little bit and go okay well it mightn't be just as rampant uh, I don't need to be as, as afraid especially if you're a vulnerable person unless I'm going into the hospital you know I think I think there should be more debate encouraged rather than stifled because there has the, there has to be a, another way that we can look at as you say bar just these sort of 
lockdowns with no end in sight because they're, they're said March the 5th, but they've already said forget about March the 5th. We're, we're saying mm-hmm. March the 5th, but really we don't mean that. We mean May or whatever. Like, so there's, it's just these indefinite lockdowns. We've already had Tony Hoolan coming out saying forget about foreign travel this summer. I don't know how he can say that. How can he say that? Like, I know they're modeling and they've got projections and so on. Why would you but come out and say that at this point in time? Oh, look, at, I, I, I actually, I, I'm at the point now that I, I agree with you. I think that the, the, the negative reporting of it, we need to hear some positivity from it. And, and, and you've a few doomsday scenario um, or, or, or doomsday lovers that, that just continue to come out with the, you know, I heard one talking about, well, look, we're going to be in a world of restrictions for three to five years. You know, I just, I don't, I don't see how anybody can predict that because they don't know how many vaccines are coming on board, how many people are going to take them, how quick they can be rolled out, the, the efficacy of the vaccines, the, the cumulative of all the different brands within it. Nobody knows this sort of stuff. So even as the vaccines are coming now, how, how Leo Varadkar came out and said that there'll be no travel in 2021 essentially you know make make plans for 2022 but you know you can't guarantee there's going to be any traveling this year that 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 was kind of a putting a negative spin onto something but i will say from also working in the media the media dictates by the clicks it gets and yeah. when people are constantly if if they put up a covid story and it's getting 5000 clicks and they put up a covid or was here covid uh, a negative story talking about the number of deaths or whatever the case may be that gets 5,000 clicks and the one that talks about the five the, the, the 500 vaccinations that happened today only gets a thousand that's the way the media are going to lean towards so yeah, I, as, I as, as a public we have to we have to change what we consume or what we want to consume um, in order like for, by you, in, in a funny sort of way, by you looking at those eight stories on the Times that are all COVID, you're probably storing it that that's going to happen again and again and again. Yeah, you make a good point there. Like, it, it, is, a, it is a feeding frenzy, really, for the media. And I see it uh, firsthand that the media they are getting a lot of traction. And it's a chicken and egg situation as well. Do the media form opinion or do they reflect opinion? Like, I actually think genuinely that... There's a lot of people in the country that can't think for themselves and, and just sort of regurgitate what they're told. Like, I think it's a byproduct of social media. And I, I've tried to wean myself off social media as well. It's quite addictive, especially Twitter. But I think people, I, I think it short circuits something in your brain that, that stops you thinking for yourself. And I'm not saying uh, that we need to go out here and say that COVID is a load of rubbish or anything like that. Don't believe anything li- like that. Uh, but we should be willing to challenge, and we shouldn't just regurgitate uh, what we're fed. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a general uh, failing we've seen of the media that there's been this sort of a, a push left, uh, in, in general public discourse in Ireland in the last probably twenty years. Maybe in the internet age, it's accelerated, um, and I, I just think it's a, it's a failing. Like I'll give you one quick example before we move on and talk about what we're supposed to be talking yeah, about. Yeah, we will move on. Michael Martin gave an interview to RTE last week and he was asked this question. There's going to come a point in the early summer when the vulnerable have been vaccinated, when most of the frontline workers have been vaccinated. Do you and your government have the bottle to resist the pressure then to open up and risk a fourth wave? Now, the, the worst part about that was that he turned around and, and said to her, yes, we do have the bottle. Now, she used the phrase open up. So by open up, I'm guessing she means 
we're going to some of the stuff that's closed now is going to uh, be restored. So we're talking about sport and maybe attendance for some sporting events or. And uh, people can, can go for a meal or go for a drink, and hospitality workers can get back to work and so on. So that these are the things. workers. Yeah. So that's I presume that's what she means by open up. So she she framed it in such a way that she's saying that there's going to come a point when when the vulnerable have been vaccinated. So the vulnerable are now okay. The the front most of the frontline workers have been vaccinated. So healthcare workers who are dealing with with them and Gary and everyone else in the front line, they're they're vaccinated. Why would the, why would she ask? Does the government have the bottle to then open up? Surely that is the point where the government opens up. And this is on our national broadcasters. That's what I mean when I say that uh, I don't think we're getting a fair reflection here in the media. There does seem to be this sort of doomsday approach, and you see it in some of the the guests that they select to come on as well. And we see it particularly on social media, where where there's it's just knee jerk reactions, and people aren't don't tend to really think into it. The last point I'll just say on that, and it's not even related to COVID, but. Tom, Tommy Gorman uh, is retiring as as a journalist, and I saw on on, on social media this outpouring of so. And I don't know really anything with Tommy Gorman. I I always thought he was a great journalist from from what I know about him, but I wouldn't be qualified to pronounce anything on his career. But those people uh, on on Twitter saying that the greatest journalist of his generation, and I just was looking at their timelines and going, "You don't strike me as the per- as a person here who consumes much journalism or." is in any way qualified to make that pronouncement. But someone, this was the general sentiment. So people aren't able to think for themselves. So they just just reflect it. And this is nothing against Tommy Gorman. If you get my point, people are, and it's the same as going on with, with COVID, people are just sort of reflecting the general sentiment and unable it, to it, come up with their own ideas. Yeah, it, it, part of it too on, on social media, and this is why I pretty much got off it, is that people feel obliged to put a thumbs up to to a comment because they they know the person who made the comment or in general they agree with the views of the person it's not necessarily them 100% endorsing the 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 comment you know or or, or jumping in so again i i take anything any comments on on social media um that that happen to come in literally i pass no remarks to them in any way for the simple reason uh, like and i'm talking about on 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 other stories anything to do we are Kevin, i pay a maximum amount of attention to it but <laughs> the rest of it i i, I just I look at like that i think it's white noise i think it's herd mentality i i agree with you in a lot of cases i the only thing I, i'd be slightly very or um getting away from distancing myself from your comments would be that you know people can't think for themselves i i i I, I I don't think I'd be qualified to um to, to make that assertion on, on, on people. I think they you know, they're thinking, they're just maybe not thinking in, in a way that, that I'd always agree with. But that's, yeah, well, that's, that's saying, the way it is. I don't mean people in general, but I mean there's there's a cohort of people uh, that I think that are that are just sort of knee jerk knee jerk reaction to, to, to matters and and I'm not saying people who like there's loads of people who have a different opinion on the lockdown to me, but I'd respect their opinion. Uh, but I'm, I'm talking about some people just you can tell that it's just go with the consensus and it's just part of a general dumbing down and shouting down of debate. Anyway, we're going to move on to lighter uh, matters <laughs> and delighted, delighted that we have some good news to bring the listeners to the McAvoy's Super Value GA podcast. It's time for our Ashling update from down under. Another great. Uh, weekend for the Pies. I'm starting to get into the lingo and all. They've they've won two on the road now. Uh, Paul, 
um, Collinwood beating Richmond 31-48 uh, and Ashling getting two goals again. An outstanding display by Ashling. Sorry, before I get Paul's comment on this, let's hear from Ashling. She was interviewed after the game. We've just made you run over for our interview as if you're not already puffed enough. Two goals, ten disposals, three marks, but a great team effort from all the girls, Aisling. Yeah, that, that's it exactly. Like, we knew coming out here there could be a bit of complacency and we really wanted to show Richmond the respect they deserve. Like, looking back in the previous games, you know, they've been actually doing quite well and really pushing teams. So, today we really want to come out and make a big team effort. You know, some quarters were starting quite slow in our games and it's something we're trying to improve on. I'd say when we go back, there is definitely a lot we need to work on. It's probably that last quarter, but um, look, we got the result we wanted. Um, three, three wins in a row. I think it's the first time for Collingwood, so you know, take the positives. Three wins in a row. Do you know who you play next week yet? Uh, no, I don't. I, I can tell you, you play North Melbourne next Saturday oh, night. So another big, another big match for you. What I love about your game is your celebrations for goal, but not just when you kick a goal, when other people kick a goal. It's great to see all you girls get around each other. Yeah, that's it exactly. And I think one thing. That we know as well you know sometimes it's great for Ford or whoever to kick a goal, a goal but it's you know uh, Jamie Lambert gave me a perfect pass for me to score a goal so she deserves probably more of the credit you know um, it has happened you know we try to get around everyone who's probably linked up in that score and I think that just shows our team morale um, and you know it's something we really pre pride ourselves on so it's great well let's see your team morale in action go sing the song yeah thank you <laughs> outstanding stuff again as I say um Two or ten disposals. Paul, what's a disposal? <laughs> to put you under pressure. Is it, is it like something that goes in, a, in the back of a bin lorry? <laughs> <laughs> I presume it's passes, is it? it? It must be, yeah. I presume you dispose of, of possession. But like, it's amazing that the improvement in Ashley since last year. So Obviously, it's her second year. Last year was her rookie season. But physically, you can see it in her. She's so much more comfortable kicking. Uh, from clips I saw last year, like one of those goals that she kicked was absolutely brilliant. It was like something you'd see David Clifford doing. Yeah, yeah. Like the angle looked really tight. I think you're you're, you're referring to the second one. The angle looked really tight. She was kind of like I I didn't think that she'd have the distance on it, but a brilliant brilliant strike of the ball. Um, but even her her general play from from reading a little bit of a match report, she, you know she was involved in so much. And then from talking to her on, on the interview, her, her ability to to be uh, versatile, be, to be able to switch between the different positions seemed to work really well with with her athletic ability at the moment. So she's she's getting in, she's winning dirty ball, and yet she's on the scoring end of it as well, which I can only imagine in a field that size is is absolutely, I'd say, impossible for somebody like me to imagine covering the ground she's covering. Yeah, yeah. She was saying, like in the interview with you, that she plays a half forward, but uh, you know she goes over to these other roles because she has the fitness and she's she's not too tall and she's not small, so she's able to sort of move around in different roles in the field. Like she plays as a hunter sometimes, which was a new one on me. Uh, she and she explained how that works as well. So she seems to be doing absolutely brilliantly. It's great to see it. Another successful uh, sports person from Hullahorn. They have a good track record of producing them. Yeah, definitely do. So next up for uh, Collinwood, as you heard in the interview there, it's it's North Melbourne. Um, so th she'll be back in around Melbourne this week after two games on the road. So um, three from three so far, if it was four from four, it would be um, an unbelievable start for the Pies. So we'll be watching that over this weekend. And again, 
on Monday night, if anybody doesn't already know, on TG Cahar, um, they do a, a, a recap of all of the games in the AFLW. And um, it, it's really entertaining. So you get to watch the Richmond and Collinwood highlights um, on TG Cahar tonight. I think it's around 8 o'clock it starts. So um, tune into that one. Moving on then, Paul, to a new feature we're bringing to our diehard listen, listeners over on Patreon dot com forward slash we are calvin it's um the regional championships and for anybody who wants to get involved in this get on social media we're using the hashtag wac regionals so it's the we are calvin regionals um but again we'll we'll explain to the listeners what the concept is why why we decided to come up with it paul yeah well uh i suppose short on content to talk about so we need to come up with something original and this is pretty original I know that it was done on the We Are Mead podcast but uh, as with everything else we'll do it better do I mean uh, <laughs> the, the idea is that, that that we pick eight regional teams to cover the 40 clubs in Cavan so we're including Swad and Corda I suppose you're 39 now but I'm not sure what the status there is so we're going to say 40 so you have eight regional teams it was actually really difficult to pick eight regional teams and keep them geographically close to each other but also keep an even spread so because the problem there is that that there's not uh, an even spread of quality across the county so if you were to pick we'd say you could put Rammer and Castellan together they share a border they're big rivals but you'd have two powerhouse teams in that together uh, and there's lots of other examples of that around the county so I think we've done a pretty good job and we've come up with uh, titles for the teams and branding so they're it's NFL style I suppose you could say to just to, to have a bit of crack with it and to capture the imagination. So what we'll do then when we have all, all our teams, uh, regional areas selected is we're going to pick a 15 plus subs from each team. So it's going to be really difficult. Looking through it, I actually think you might see county panellists not making the 15 for, for their region because uh, some of these 15s, like if you're if you're a corner forward, there's only two slots maybe on that team for you. And uh, if there's five clubs in it, Suddenly, it might be harder to make to make uh, one of those two slots than it is nearly to make a county panel. So there's, it's, yeah. and maybe sometime this competition will come off. Damien, Brady's Arva Limited, main dealers for Volkswagen cars and commercial vehicles, have been serving the needs of the motoring community in Cavan, Longford, Leitrim, Monaghan, Mead, and the surrounding counties for over fifty years. A family-owned and family-run business. Brady's are famous for their long association with the GAA. If you're looking for a new or used car or commercial vehicle, check out Brady's Arva Limited. They provide an unrivaled sales and after-sales service and are open six days a week. Brady's Arva Limited. Get on the winning team today. See www.bradysarva.ie for more details. Yeah, well, I, I personally, I'd, I'd love to see this come off because I think it affords the players at the at a at a lower level. If this became an annual competition, I think it affords the players from junior clubs to get exposed to a higher level of football. Um, it could be run in different ways, but we'll we, we'll not make the uh, the job of the county board any any more difficult uh, for the time being. But maybe what we we'll do is we we'll go through. The, uh, the the teams that we've picked so far, so as in that that we've um, we've allocated what club will be on what team, um, which which was not that easy of a task to bring it down just to the eight teams. 
Um, Not that because, easy, Damien. This was this is actually harder. This is going to be harder than taking the fifteens. I'm sure of it because this took hours <laughs> to get these, yeah. and uh, lots of feedback from different people. So what we were trying to do was like keep clubs who are <clears throat> maybe in the same parish or traditionally have amalgamated at times, um, keep them together where possible. But again, you don't want any group that's too strong either. So it was difficult, but I think we've done okay with it. So we start with the first one, I suppose, in the west of the county, uh, which we've called the West Side Warriors. And this, this one has seven clubs in it, uh, and they are Shannon Gales, Templeport, Swanlinbar, Corla, Kildallan, and then the good friends of Drumlaine and Beltorbet. Yeah, and and the way we 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 tried obviously to to make sure that that it was an even enough balance in terms of the teams, but so we weighted the um or graded each team. It was one point for a junior team, two for uh, an intermediate, and four for a senior. Which essentially, depending on what way you look at it, meant that 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 the the West Cavan or the West Side Warriors had um have ten points. If you include Corla and Swad as, as as two separate junior teams in it, so um, but again, you, you look at it. It now of the eight teams that we have picked out, the Westside Warriors are the only ones that won't have a senior club in their in their ranks. But they are also the only side that have seven clubs in their ranks. So you know, with with that, they get an advantage and. You, you you break it down. There's still going to be plenty of talent in that. You can only pick 15 as a starter either way, regardless of how many top class players you have. So I think that that's where this could be. You know, you start to think about some of the players that that aren't going to make these teams, and 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 there's a real quality there to it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I like <clears throat> we all know the different clubs who might maybe might be that great uh, in their own level of football, but might have two or three outstanding players. There's lots of examples of that, so um, wouldn't necessarily d- dismiss any one, any club that's in a, one of these amalgamations because you know you're only looking at maybe three lads making it. Uh, the next one on the line of Damien, we call them the Border Saints. <laughs> There's a bit of artistic yeah. license taken with some of bit, these teams. Bit of a debate whether whether they're saints or not, but you've got on on that amalgamation we've got six teams, which is the second largest. Group in in the uh, in the teams that is Trumgoon, Coothill, Red Hills, Kildrung, and Ballyhays. So it's a you know there's there's a lot of a lot of quality in that. Um, I'm I'm actually looking at this and realizing that I'm wrong in my first comment because they don't have a senior team in them either. No, you're right. They don't. But but Coothill, Red Hills, and Ballyhays have all played senior and Trumgoon in the recent past. Uh, I think. Could Hill and Trumgoon had to be together? Like that's a natural fit. Um, same parish and another big rivals, but I think that's a natural fit. Um, it to be they're in the very same area. Uh, yeah. Kill and Drum, obviously the St. Finbar's amalgamation, probably the longest established amalgamation in the county at this stage, underage and and so on. Red Hills and Ballyhay is the same. Uh, would have amalgamated years ago, a couple of different times at underage level, and obviously very close and would have been big rivals as well. So I think that's that's a good side too, uh, very good side, and I could see all all six uh, clubs having a representative on that fifteen. Yeah, yeah, which would be, which would be, I suppose, great to see in one way. Um, then our third team, 
we've gone with the name of the Breffney Chieftains. Um, I, I don't necessarily know how we come up with this one or how we can justify calling it the Breffney Chieftains, but the four clubs involved in this are Crushlaw, Ballamacue, Lacken, and Ballinia. Um and, and once again, there's, there's that team running through all of this that while they're the fiercest of rivals, they're the best fit to play with each other as well, in Lacken and Ballinia in particular. Well, I did sound out of Lacken man on this, and he said Lacken and Crushlaw kill each other if they had to play together. But uh, funny thing, Lacken and Balanya is a fierce rivalry, but they were friendly rivals, uh, you could say as well. Lacken and Crushlaw have had a good few hours over the years. Ballin Q were always fighting with everybody. So uh, <laughs> no, I think I I think that's that's a hell of a squad there. I think that's a really really good squad. We call them the Chieftains because Crushlaw are the the senior champions at the minute. Balanya. Uh, were the intermediate champions last year, so two of them have a cup in their club grounds at the minute. So that's why we call them the chieftains. And of course, Banya former senior winners. Lacken won a senior in 1908. Valley won a championship, junior championship a couple of years back as well. So that's so where plenty, plenty of experience in this. Yeah, you're in the heartland of Cavan there as well, um, and you'd have a good few Yahoos attending the chieftains games. So uh, we go we go with the chieftains for that one. Here's an interesting team here, and I think. This team could potentially have the best forward line in it, Damien. The Lakeside Lords. Yeah, so the lineup here is Rammer, Mahra, Munchakana, Cuhullins, and Killing Care. So I think you've got serious quality there. Obviously, Rammer, the blue chip team there, 2016 senior champions. But you've got great forwards in particular on, on these teams. And I think that's, again, very close. Probably 10 minute drive bringing around most of those clubs. So, uh, I think that's potentially a hell of a side there. Most of them would have gone to school together as well, I'd imagine, in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, do you know, it's, it's um, while you look at it and you say Rammer will, 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 will dominate you know, because they're the senior side, when you look at some of the, the players available from the other four clubs, there's, there's going to be huge competition for places there. Um, you know, I'm thinking of even as a forward line, you're looking at the likes of Simon Cadden, Jack Brady, James Brady, Edo Cole, Emmett Fitzsimons, Peter McCabe, Evan Dowhey, Brian McGee, um, you know, Shane Hanley, Sean McAvoy, Michael McDoon. You know, like that's just forward players. That's going to be such a tough team to make. You know, so that's that's the beauty of it is that. There'll be um, there'll be huge competition for places on that team. Like it looks like a very strong forward unit in particular. You wonder is the defense going to be able to hold up to to what it's going to come up against? So yeah, that's a, that's going to be the it's big a good one on the, on the lakes the lakeside lords. I I like that name. That that's that's kind of one that if they, if they win they could get out on on your kayaks and and celebrate. <laughs> Yeah. Um, next yeah. up, we have the Southern Cowboys. This the uh, best name of all. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I think it's very fitting. Although the Lacken the Lacken team could have been called the Cowboys too. But uh, I like to look at this side. A bit of thought went into this one. So we've kept Arva, Kilachandra, and Cornerfane together because they're in the same parish, and they're all, they're yeah. three solid intermediate sides. And then we've kept Mullahorn and Garner together. Obviously, uh, bitter rivals over the years, but they're neighbouring parishes as well. And uh, well, like in to, order for the, for the competition to thrive, we didn't need Mullahorn and Gown in separate teams, and then to come up against each other, there's a big row, and the competition is thrown out the window. <laughs> so we said we put them together, 
instead of them fighting with each other, they can fight with somebody else. But yeah, and so and Gar- Garner would appeal it and counter appeal it, and it would end up in Crow Park, and the whole thing would be all over the place. <laughs> we, we can't, we can't have that. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's that's a potential winner there. So what we're going to do, Damien, is when we've all our 15s named, I think we'll throw them out, we'll, we'll draw them out of a hat and then we'll throw them out for votes on social media and we'll see what teams come through the quarter, semi and final. I think Southern Cowboys could be dark horses. Mm, it'll be interesting to see now. Um, going on now, what is this, our fifth or sixth team? Sixth team is the Shamrock Stars, um, which was was a, an interesting combination of Kingscourt, Shercourt, Bailiborough and Knockbride. Again, you know, close area there. A lot of them probably went to schools together. Um, and you have you've you've two senior teams stuck in the mix there in Shercock and Kingscourt. So it's it's a strong looking outfit. Strong looking outfit, yeah. Again, all very close to each other. Like that's a real little nucleus there between those four clubs. Um like Kingscourt would border Bilber and Shercock. Now Bright is coming in there as well. We gave them the, the Shamrock with the star in it. Uh, so the green is the, the obviously Shamrock's is Bailiver, the stars is Kingscourt, and the green brings in Shercock and Not Bride from their jerseys as well. So uh, good outfit, a good franchise, Damien. That's what I say now as an NFL fan. Brilliant. Um second last team is the um United Giants, obviously, which is Lara. Lavi, then Castleran and Nugent. Yeah, we a strong outfit. Two senior clubs there. Three yeah, senior ran, clubs there. We ran out of names for, for, for the United Giants, <laughs> so we, we threw in United because obviously from Lara, uh, we gave them the the maroon colours, which brings in Castleran and then and. Uh, and they're all big fellas from Den and from Lavi and from Mount Nugent, so we call Mount them Giants. Nugent, we call them Giants, yeah. Well, I thought there was a nice just little sort of assonance with the name there, United Giants. So uh, I think that I was actually trying to sketch out that team earlier on, and that's going to be a very strong side. Now, I could see that team being dominated by Casaran and Lavi. Uh, you're got to, going to get a couple of Lara lads in there. Den and Montreux Connacht, they'll be fighting hard to get a couple of lads onto that side because Casaran and Lavi, two of the top teams in the county. But I think that's... That's potentially like look at the potential half back line you'd have there, maybe with Jerry Smith, uh, Chris Conroy, uh, maybe Paul, Paul Lukey or Russian Kiernan. Uh, <laughs> county standard stuff, so that's that's going to be a quality side. Yeah, and then the final team is the Orney Street Tigers, and for those that don't know, Cavan Town, Butler's Bridge, um, Drumley area, going out into even a wee bit of Killigarry. Is um is the parish of Orney, so it is the, those four clubs: Drumley, Cavan Gales, Butler's Bridge, and Killigarry. That's that's a good that's a quality side as well. Like look at that forward line straight away. You've got three forwards from Killigarry on the one old medals of Cavan: Ushin Brady, Martin Riley, and Connor Smith. And that's before you get into the quality forwards on the Bridge team, and then quality on the Gales team. I, you're going to see some good players not making that forward line, and we're going to probably have to come up with some uh, creative thinking to try and get some. Good lads onto that side. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's it's going to be uh, it, it, so the first team that we're picking, and it's over on the diehard service on Patreon. Um, we're going to be picking our starting fifteen and our subs for the West Side Warriors. Uh, so that should be out tomorrow evening 
on patreon.com forward slash we are Kevin. Let us know what you think of the names. Let us know your suggestions for the teams. Um, and if you could let us know, firstly, your pick from, uh, if you have to pick 15 players from Beltorbet, Shannon Gales, Templeport, Swanlinbar, Corlick, Kildallan, and Drum Lane. And the, the important part on this is they have to be in the country. We can't. Somebody was 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 sending in earlier that we should um, we could pick um, the likes of or in the county they have to be playing football. So like Niall Walsh, um, Ben Cairn, and as like that they don't count. They've got to play football in the county of Cavan and in that region at the time. So um, send us your suggestions. It's going to be an interesting few weeks over on Patreon, Paul. Yeah, looking forward to it, Damien. Should get a good bit of debate going. That's what we want. Exactly. Also, um, folks, over on Patreon later on this week, we'll be bringing an exclusive interview with the Cavan SNC coach, Andre Quinn. Um, so that should be very, very exciting. He's had a, a very influential role with Cavan's success in 2020. Paul, thanks a million for taking the time to talk to us. I feel like we got a lot off your chest there with regards to COVID and everything. So are you, are you less stressed now that we've, we've had this therapy session? Yeah, I always come away from talking to you very relaxed, Damon. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay relaxed. Thanks, folks. Have a good week. We'll chat to you later.